Rethink Retail, the evolution of retail in today's connected world. Welcome to the Rethink Retail Show, your source for the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. Join host Julia Raymond, Global Director of Research at Valtech, a global digital agency focused on strategy and transformation in retail, as she explores the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. This episode of Rethink Retail, sponsored by Valtech, where experiences are engineered. Hi, thanks for tuning in. Today we're speaking with a doctor, and no, not the medical kind. Our guest is the RD. He's the real deal. He's the retail doctor, Bob Fibbs. Bob is a popular motivational speaker, business consultant, and was recently named Venn's top three retail influencer of 2019. So congratulations on that. Thank you. His work has appeared in national news outlets. He's been featured in articles in the New York Times, Entrepreneur, and Wall Street Journal. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Will you tell us just a bit about yourself and how you became known as the RD or the retail doctor? <laughs> Certainly. I try to make this as short as possible, but I got my degree in conducting actually originally, and I put myself through school selling shoes and ultimately ended up not deciding to go into education and using music as a hobby. And I worked with a group of basically cowboy stores in the 80s and grew their sales to be the number one Western wear chain in the U.S. And one day the owner asked everybody, so tell me what's the company's greatest asset? And I said, well, that's easy. It's employees. And he said, wrong. And I was like, wrong. And other people tried to get the idea and they couldn't figure out either. And Finally, he says, oh, it's customers. I was like, hmm. okay. So I went down to his office and I said, you know, our customers can go anywhere. They're loyal to a lot of different things, but our employees is how we made this company and I can't work for a company like this. I'll be gone in two weeks. Wow. A little shocked, but then I go home and it's like, and now what? So I spent a couple of months off and I went to a Tony Robbins seminar and Tony had a very good message and it said, you better come up with a brand nobody else can do better than you. And I literally, the next morning, filed the trademark for the retail doctor. And a couple of years later, I'll tell you about that story if you're interested how I got famous. But that was the moment when I realized if I could do this for one brand, I can do this for many, which is why my client list is pretty much any major retailer, midsize and up in the US and across the world. Yeah. And that's really impressive that you were so bold <laughs> back then to just say, I can't work for someone that doesn't see the world in this way, which is valuing employees as the most important asset. So tell me a little bit about the retail doctor. So you went and you did the trademark and then where'd you go from there? Was it word of mouth because you were in the so business? I did some little consulting things. A friend of mine had a pizza business and he asked me to come evaluate it. And I spent probably a week, which I would never do now, but I spent a week and looked at all his numbers and everything. I go, dude, you might as well close this unless you're going to put a lot more money into it. I don't see any hope. You don't have the right people. You've got an average product and you're wasting your money marketing. He closed it the next day. I was like, wow, I kind of felt bad for the people working in the business. But one of my first clients was a Bay Shores Peninsula Hotel down in Newport Beach. I had 23 rooms and they'd heard about me. And to make a very long story short, we put my culture into that business about selling and taking care of the customer and I will tell you that a little company that we hadn't ever heard of came on the scene called TripAdvisor. <laughs> yeah. You know, to this day, it is still the number one hotel in most of Orange County out of 350 hotels. And I'm talking about fancy brands like the Ritz-Carlton and Four Seasons and that. They all come back and talk about what a great experience it is 
to go to the Bayshores. And I think about that when people tell me, oh, culture's everything. And so we do all these different things. It's like, no, culture, if you do it right, is about your people and executing a brand standard every day. It's being brilliant on the basics. And while I haven't worked with them for over 30 years, the fact that they're able to keep it going and look at the reviews they get and what everybody says and to see that in operation is really gratifying. But the one that really put me on the map was after that, there's a little coffee company, coffee roaster in Long Beach, California. And I was reading about them in the paper all the time, these letters to the editor, you know, is what's wrong with America, that the little guy being put out of business by the big guy. And I'm like, what is all of this? And apparently there was a little coffee roaster and he was fighting. They were going to put a second Starbucks 100 feet from his front door. And they'd already put one in 10 blocks from him. And so I thought, well, I got to go check this guy out. So I went in and it was a rainy night and the drinks were terrible. And the two employees were leaning on the counter and one saying, you know, this place will be gone when that second Starbucks opens. So I already told people I was the manager who's going to check. And I was like, wow, this guy needs my help. But I went and I talked to Mike and I found out he was actually losing 10% of his business every month over the previous year. And on top of that, his stepfather had pretty much told him he was never going to become anything. And he was his landlord. And I was like, dude, oh, this is okay. pretty rotten. And I said, well, here's my contract and I will guarantee that we'll turn this around. And it took him three visits before he finally signed the agreement. You know, they call them independent retailers for a reason. And I said, I'm not coming back. And he goes, I'm willing to do whatever you do. And so the first night gathers 20 employees together put a picture of the Titanic on the wall. We were in a meeting room and I said, ladies and gentlemen, we're on this and it's not going down on my watch. And two <laughs> girls stood up. You can't do this to us, Mike. And we are family and on and on and on and tears and everything. And within 30 days, all but one employee was there. And I was hiring new people and training them along the way. And sales rose 11%. Sales rose 50% over the next year and 40% over the next. And so the marketing kicked in, which is for your listeners, the experience better be right before you do marketing. So I don't give a darn if you're in social media or you're doing all kinds of promotions and having events. At the end, if you can't execute brilliantly and get them to convert in your store, that's all distractions. So we did that. We got an article in the local, I would just call them the coffeehouse rags. They were the freebies that you get at a coffeehouse. We had a nice profile there called the local paper. They did. And then I called the New York Times and I said, would you vision how little guy beats the big guy? And they're like, uh, we would. And so we did the interview in July and I'm speaking in October and I go down to the hotel and there's my picture on the front of the New York Times saying, check out the article and the business section. I open up the top half of the business section that day is Bob Fibbs, a category killer, killer. And it was all the story about how we had taken on Starbucks. And so from that, then the LA Times asked me to do business makeovers and it kind of built the house that Jack built. And people say to me all the time, you know, how can I be like you? And I say, do your job. You know, I was lucky. I don't know people care that a little coffee house was going up against the Starbucks. And at the end of the day, it all came down to the experience in that store. And that's still true, that if you can't execute brilliantly on the basics, then you're probably going to be in a world of hurt. And there's a lot of brands that we could talk about that are having trouble with that right now, aren't there? So yeah. there you go. A whole lot. And I like how you made a call out there that experience comes before marketing. And it sounds like even before that is the people, right? Because that was the first thing that you did with the coffee house. Was well, that's right it, Julia. And that's why it was such an affront that the owner would tell me that the employees weren't the most important asset. That's how I built my brand. I mean, that's why when people 
call me. I said, I'm the unabashed brick and mortar guy. I believe you are settling for crumbs when you could have a whole feast, that you have devalued the experience and you're just a more expensive than some guy online warehouse for your products. And until you fix that, you're going to struggle and tell me all these silly cross promotions you're doing and pop-ups and all these distractions. While when shoppers walk in, you're no different than the other guy. And in that second is when you're judged. I mean, I don't know how they're going to get people back to JCPenney. You torched that so bad. And if Rick and Mortar is doing so terrible, tell me how did Lululemon open a 20,000 square foot brand new store? Either with you a get restaurant. It, with a restaurant and a yoga studio, but they're all organic to the brand. You see what I mean? It's like they know who their customer is. They know who their shopper is and they're able to execute on it. So if you don't know that, then I think you're in trouble. And the other thing I would just add about working with Mike in the coffee house, Mike's one of the founding members of Special Coffee Association. This guy knows everything about coffee. And yet he thought that knowledge was going to be his golden ticket. And I said, Mike, I don't give a damn. If your employees can't talk to me about coffee, it makes no difference if they know it. And that's the other thing that sometimes I think a lot of the niche boutiques get caught up in the, we know all of our product knowledge. Well, I don't give a damn. If you can't engage me, you know, I walked into a Tony retailer on Madison Avenue in the middle of January this last year. And I walk in and the girl says, can I get you a bottle of water? And I was like, that was it. That was the best thing you could say to me. (laughs) And all the things you could say, it's freezing out. The last thing I'm thinking about is a bottle of cold water, but you just instinctively said that. And so what did I say to her? Of course, no. At which point, She then retreated to the side of the store, clasped her hands behind her back and fell in pose and then watched me like I was going to steal one of their thousand dollar hoodies. And I'm like, really? Everybody keeps saying, oh, people are abandoning Madison Avenue. It must be the shoppers. No, it's not the shoppers. We are voting with our feet. So if you're struggling with conversions, if you're struggling with less traffic, look in the mirror because the little guys saw this before you did. Barney's going bankrupt and saying it must be because of their real estate. Please. They prided themselves on being aloof and having this kind of take it or leave it. Well, customers don't want that experience. So wake up if you're listening to this. Rethink retail indeed. Right. I love that. And I've heard you talk a lot about how retailers, sometimes they're confusing the customer service and the customer experience. Where's the true distinction, especially because so, we have online brands nowadays? Yeah. And don't get me wrong, if you're an online retailer, you're doing your thing, that's fine. And you're going to realize how expensive it is to have free shipping and free everything else back and forth. And then I had to laugh. Everyone's telling me the real real is so great. They're the future. Everyone's going to be buying these consignment items and renting clothes. They had a 20% off sale on the CNN last night. I'm like, really? Really? Discounting? That's where you're going to go? They don't realize that you're going to have to open brick and mortar stores and you're going to have to understand who that customer is in a better way. And there's a lot of smaller retailers that I think understand that and they're doing well. But customer service for a lot of people is I'm helpful. If you ask a question, Julia, uh, does this come in brown or does this come in taupe or some kind of an earth tone? And I know that it does. And I maybe I can go online and I can say, oh, it comes in a wide variety of browns and teals. And you're like, oh, and you're helpful. Well, that's customer service, but there's nothing expected. This is that great, I think, lie that the Disneyfication of retail became. They're all guests. Everyone's just a guest in our right. store. Well, Huge you know case what? Study, yeah. <laughs> you know what, Julia? If you're a guest at my house for Thanksgiving, I don't expect to sell you the turkey. 
You just come in and I'm like, if it's really good though, <laughs> it's like, it's I'll a buy the leftovers. Time. Yeah, exactly. And people are like, well, that's kind of silly. It's like, no, it isn't because a customer experience is taking the idea that I have to, for those few minutes that I engage you and maybe it's seconds, but in that minute to feel they're the most important person in my world. And when I make someone feel they matter, they buy more, but make no mistake. It's about converting lookers to buyers. You know, everyone bemoans the fact that we have lost traffic to the malls. And people love to tell me that, oh, footfall's down. Look, the browsers are on their iPads now. You've lost that occasional shopper. But when I walk into your store in a mall, which I might only walk into one in three, that's your one shot you have to make a sale, which means you have to understand what a branded shopping experience looks like and deliver it. So if your conversion rate, and you know, let's face it, a lot of stores are probably in the eight to seven, maybe percent range, which means 93% of people you're congratulating yourself, only 93% didn't buy our stuff today, that you can affect that. In fact, even my online training, we have a retailer who was telling me that his conversion rate doubled from 10 to 23% by using our sales training, SalesRx, but he knows his numbers. Wow. And you've got to know your numbers and say, well, why aren't they buying? Because if you're just happy with your employees saying, hi, let me know if you need anything. I'm over here in felon pose behind the counter. If all you can say is, hi, can I help you find something? Oh, yeah, I'm looking for, I don't know, let's say bed linens, sheets. Great. Do you have a budget? Uh, well, I don't know, something like 20 bucks. Okay, well, here's our bargain brand. And that's all we have. Well, I'd like something nicer. They're going to cost more. Okay. And you don't see those nanoseconds where you're judged. I mean, the reality, Julia, is that online is looking at every second that I'm on there, what I click, what I look at. And yet in a brick and mortar store, people let people walk around for 5, 10, 20 minutes without even saying a word because someone in their organization says, oh, we don't want to be pushy. We don't want to be salesy. Well, then what the hell do you have? I mean, a store is about you have products that need to be sold. And they need to be sold enough profit that you're able to stay in business, provide more opportunities for your employees, and improve your operations. That's really what it's about. So you can have events and say, oh, well, we got all these people in. You know, We had a millennial event where we were made craft cocktails and we had getting your nails done. And well, great, how many items did you sell? Oh, it wasn't about selling. Well, what is it about then? You're not a store. I'm passionate about so many retailers seem to have thrown in the towel or to be working at such a low level that you can stand out because so many people just don't understand what it takes to create a branded retail customer experience. And not forget the sales factor. Well, exactly. Like. Here's the other thing. So a quick story for you. I finished a keynote in Denver, Colorado. I'm walking down the street. There's a sign on the A-frame that says four out of five guys notice thicker, stronger hair. I'm like, that's me. I just walk in to the salon right there, a young woman. I just say to her as I walk in, I want that. I point to it. She goes, well, it's really expensive. I was oh. like, do I look homeless? And she goes, well, I just want to let you know it's really expensive. And I said, is your manager here? So this woman comes up from behind. She goes, I'm the manager. And I tell her what happened. And she goes, well, she wants to let you know it really is expensive. I said, look at my hair. Half of it is gone. And that's the other thing that's going on as retail, because God forbid you train someone, your premium items are sitting there and your employee will start at the cheapest 
and say, this is good enough. Like I'm your buddy, Julia. You don't have to get the nicer version, the one that's more convenient or the one that might make it better. You can get away with this. So that $85 shampoo sits there and then you go back to your owner and say, yeah, we can't sell nice things. You know, it's just not our market. Well, it is your market, but it's your employees. You never trained because they didn't understand. It's not about your wallet. It's about the shopper's wallet. And so that's the other thing I see so many brick and mortars doing is they don't realize that you have employees that can only sell things on sale. And when they're 20 or 30% off, they shouldn't be doing anything to help that sale. Really. You do it only when they're full priced, which means you better know what a branded fitting room experience is. You better know exactly how to merchandise. There's a lot of parts to making retail work and there are a lot of retailers that are doing it great. But when you throw in the towel and say, we can't because of X, Y, and Z, it's usually because you gave up on the idea of a branded customer experience and you're willing to just settle for whoever you can hire that fogs the mirror to work the schedule instead of giving them some direction. It's not even a matter of their aptitude. It's a matter of your commitment to delivering on that and training it and then holding them accountable. If they can't do it, get the heck off my sales floor. Yeah. And like you said before, experience before marketing. So instead of putting on millennial events and not (laughs) focusing on any sales, but just thinking that it will magically help people start to convert is something that you're kind of saying it's not really true. It's just traffic. It's just traffic. I mean, and getting people into a store doesn't take money. doesn't take much thought. Here's food and drink. Come in as you get off of work in Manhattan. Of course, you're going to get a bunch of people. And then you take pictures for social media. And then I'll ask you, well, how many did you sell? Oh, it's not about that. Oh, right. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And you said in your book that the importance of training your associates is just huge. And I was thinking, you know, shouldn't this be a given? Why is it so difficult? I mean, what are the challenges? Is it the cost or, I mean, what have you run into? Well, that's a great question. I think there's always been two sides to retail, which is we'll pay, you know, our higher touch sales associates, we'll pay them more by a bonus commission a bonus or a commission or something that rewards their sales abilities. And then there's the other side that typically say, oh, well, they're all going to quit anyway. So we're not going to have a path to a career choice. We're just going to slash and burn kind of through our employees. And if they last more than three months, that's fine. It doesn't really matter. The problem with all of that is on the one side, the high touch really personalized service that you would expect to get in a Tiffany's or a Nordstrom or some other wonderful retailers. I would talk specifically about Nordstrom and Neiman Marcus and some of the other ones. It's just not there. Eventually you have untrained people. And I did a LinkedIn video at Christmas where I'd gone out of Neiman Marcus after spending a thousand bucks. And I talked about what a horrible experience it was. It was amazing that I hear that they are $4 billion in debt. Well, that got 110,000 views. Because people were like, oh, this guy can actually figure out what's going on. And I think it still comes back to that idea that if you're really serious about competing in this world, then you're not going to sit on your laurels like a Nordstrom and say, oh, we have great customer service. Great. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll bring in a mystery shopper and we'll see what happens. Let's just see what that experience is. Let me know if you need anything and I'm going to stay over here in my department. Your goal is to connect at a different level in retail. So... That takes training, especially if you're going to hire iGen and millennials who, through no fault of their own, and again, I don't want to come off like this old baby boomer telling the world, but what it comes down to is I had opportunities when I grew up. I went and I mowed lawns. I would knock on doors when I was in fourth grade with the Boy Scouts to collect donations. You know, our parents would just drop us off. And so we just 
had some opportunities to get over fear and risk that younger people these days don't. So it's not their fault that they text. I mean, baby boomers did it to them. They were so paranoid of the kids getting abducted or something after school. They had to come right home and lock the door and stay in their room. So of course they found their friends on a computer. So it's not their fault, but if all you're doing is on your thumbs, retail isn't that world. You have to give them voice lessons. This is what you say to somebody. This is what your body language looks like. This is a process you take somebody through before they say, I'll take it. And then when you give them that, you know, millennials are like incredibly smart. This is a generation that grew up on Harry Potter books on reading. They'll gobble it up, but you've got to give it to them because otherwise you're hiring someone they worked at, I don't know, some other competitor and you don't train like, oh, great. She worked for Wolf Brothers, let's say. I don't know. Well, you don't know she was a good employee there. So now Wolf Brothers, their customer service was, can I help you find something? Finding everything okay? Got a budget? And now she's brought that right into the heart of your operation. And without training, you might have brought a Trojan horse into your store because people were used to people taking the time to get to know them and to have a back and forth conversation. So it is the key. It's what I've done to build every business I've worked with. Always starts with the sales process, the customer service experience. And then, you know, there's people that are going to go to it and they're going to love it and say, this is different. I'm having a good time. And there's other people that say, I don't want to do it. And at that point, it's a skill or will issue. I got the skill, but you don't have the will to want to do this job. Well, then get out. But retail is not that bad. I know people making a hundred grand a year in retail, not everybody's working at $15 an hour. There's a lot of people that have made this a career. And if that's you, if you're just starting out and you're trying to think, well, really? It's like, absolutely. You just have to find that way to connect on a more human level in this increasingly technological world we've got. Yeah. And what you just said, I mean, that's what I was kind of wondering is as stores become more connected and I hate to use the example again, but the Nike store in New York, obviously their flagship is very, you know, meeting the customer where they're at. So they just determine the level of service. Do you think that stores of the future will become more like this and need fewer employees because of the support from technology, but like maybe more skilled employees and they can invest more? Is that something you could see? I just can't imagine less. Let's be honest. (laughs) After 2008, so many businesses cut their employees. In fact, I think the Wall Street Journal, going back to J.C. Penney, said Penney's has half as many people on the floor as they had only less than a decade ago. I mean, half. Mm, I mean, that's wow. kind of shocking. And Sears was one of the first that did that. And we see how well that worked out. You know, the reality is that on every customer service survey you see for the past couple decades, the number one thing people really gets them riled is nobody greeted me or valued me as a customer. You know, you may be the only person that that person speaks to today in a friendly enough way. And realizing in this day and age, I have to like you before you like me is very different because in social media, I decide who I'll let follow me, right? I have that. And you have to actually train. No, it is about somebody else being more important than you. And when you do that, you realize the party's in the aisle. Julia, that there's these great stories of people out there that you discover how your products work into it. You know, if you're just curious, why today did this woman walk into my store at three in the afternoon? If you're just curious about her, apparel store, let's say, maybe she lost 50 pounds because she went through a divorce. Maybe she just had a kid. Maybe she is going to run a triathlete. Maybe there's a million stories that are there. And your goal is to find a way to unlock them. And then when you just collect the stories, the products come naturally. 
but we're so caught up in selling that's all about the product. Like, oh, we have this new black dress in. Like, really? That's going to be compelling. Really? Like, you're going to sell this little black dress in a compelling way. No, it's not about the product. When she's looking the, for workout pants. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> if I just understand that, oh, so it's really getting in her head. It's a bigger game than that. Yeah, it's a fun game. You know, I've met some incredible celebrities, but I wouldn't have known that they were standing in front of me at the time until I put myself out there. That risk, letting go of that fear that they may not like you is kind of the key too. Yeah, I love that. I really think that's a big part of it that's maybe missing right now. Yeah. But you've brought up JCPenney a few times and I just have to ask because <laughs> they're in the news right now. They're following the same footsteps as Macy's and doing the thread up partnership. I know. I what do you think about that? Thread up? Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> JCPenney, where are they going? I get it. People kind of forget. They're like, oh, it's a new way of shopping. Millennials don't have money. I gen, you know, if they're out on their own, they have student debt. They're living three in an apartment to be able to live in the big cities. And so I get that this rental thing is interesting, but at some point, no one's making money at this. So you're right. going to expand it to Macy's. And now you're expanding it to JCPenney and this idea that people want to buy used clothes like a garage sale because you can get it on an app and then they don't have to wash it. They're sending it. I mean, there's a lot of concern right now that we're going to go into a bit of a recession. It's going to be a bit of a downturn. You really think that that's something that people are going to continue doing? I know it makes sense for the VCs that are backing it, but at the end of the day, I think we're seeing different types of consumers. You know, there is some thought that maybe online is slowing. The gains are not nearly like they used to be. And that maybe that's just going to be a niche that a certain percentage of sales will always be online. You know, and the same thing, maybe there's going to be a certain percentage of people that will only rent, but it's pales in the number of people that still want to go out into a brick and mortar store, go out into a restaurant. I know there are people that just want to do takeout and people are saying we've lived through the golden age of restaurants. Well, I don't quite buy that. I think that things are certainly changing. But if you're in business, whatever you're choosing, it's about being able to have somebody exchange. They have more value in your product than they have for their money. And you add more value to their money by serving them with a product. So I think that what's interesting that they're trying it. I mean, my thing with pennies is they should go through and make the whole brand about empowered women and tell a story about empowered women in various stages of their lives. Go after that a full bore and unapologetically, and they are mentors to women, and they just bring all these women together and have different lines and different needs, and they understand her instead of we have an apparel line. They don't see the place that they could have in a consumer's life right now. Thread Up is basically saying, we're going to take over your closet, and you can rent it, and rent the runway or the real real. You know, you'll be able to buy people's cast-off designers from various decades. And I get it. There are people that buy those things, but the vast majority are just going to go to a mall or see a pretty window and they're going to walk in the store. And that's when your luck can change. When you realize that, that person walking in the door can change your entire business by valuing them over the product. So yeah, just really back to the points that you make about creating that branded, exceptional in-store experience is something that maybe they need to try. <laughs> Yeah. A bit well, different. again, it's only time and money. It's certainly much more valuable than saying you've hired influencers who probably 
bought most of their followers. And, you know, when you look at who was it, there's a young woman who had a famous influencer that came out with a clothing line and couldn't sell 50 t-shirts. Oh, wow. And they were shocked. Like, oh, what does this mean? It's like, it means it's smoke and mirrors. Do yeah. The there's not a lot of authenticity Exactly. exactly. <laughs> in some of the influencer marketing. Definitely. And I think there's a lot of retailers that are just throwing money at that, hoping it'll stick. Well, and that's it. People are trying anything. Like you say, thread up Macy's with their backstage pass where they take all their leftover stuff that didn't sell anywhere else. Instead of using a third party to clear it out of the store, they're going to leave it in the store. And, you know, when I go into their stores, you know what the busy department is? Backstage pass because it's the 60, 70% off stuff from several seasons ago. So you have to say, if that's the future how are you going to hold on to a Herald Square? Where's the cachet to buying a Macy's or registering for a wedding or outfitting your family for a trip? I don't think they've answered that yet, but they're throwing a lot of things at the wall, hoping, dear God, something has to fit. Yeah. You said it was like seven to 8% convert. Do you think that'll decline or increase? I mean, what's your take on brick and mortar right now? I know you said that there's, there are concerns about it. recession. I, you know, I think the challenge is that there's just too many places to buy too much of the same stuff. You know, Wall Street... Mm-hmm bankrolled so many brands in the 80s and said, here, we'll just throw money at you, buy stuff. So I know in California, you know, you get off an off-ramp of a freeway, it's either a Michael's or a Bed Bath Beyond with a Lowe's or a Home Depot with a grocery store of one or two stripes along with a Starbucks or Panera Bread. And you're like, really? Is there that much demand for it? Not really, but they're all built. And so it is going to be painful to figure out where we go from here. You know, the South Coast plazas of the world and Costa Mesa, they're still going to be around. Same thing with Michigan Avenue and an awful lot of other ones. But it's those C and D level malls, particularly in rural America, which was already decimated usually by Walmart who went in in the 80s and gobbled up their downtowns. What's going to happen when the JCPenney's and the Sears and eventually I think certainly a lot of the Macy's go out, those don't become viable properties without the majors. You can move restaurants into them and make a food court. But the magic of a great mall is understanding that people go there to eat and to shop and to be entertained and getting that mix right so that when I'm waiting for the movie, I'm going to stop and get something at the restaurant or I'm at the store and I happen to be walking out and I decided to get dinner there. That's where the sweet spot is, which is why a lot of people are looking at the mixed use and building apartments around them and trying to find different ways to repurpose them. So I'm still bullish on brick and mortar. And I always say to my clients and to my audiences, there's a great shakeout going on right now. No two ways about it. It just doesn't have to be you. If you want to change your way of looking at the shopper and you're going to change the way you look at a store instead of saying it's a warehouse for merchandise that 90% of my competitors have and you say, we're going to be different here and you execute that brilliantly because you train your employees, I think the proof is there. I mean, the business is there to be had. And of course, you have to be omni-channel and of course, you have to have ability to buy online and return in store and all of those different things. But those are all part of servicing the store. They're not instead of. That totally makes sense. And it reminds me because I was chatting with off to double check this. I think it was on our Rethink Rundown the other day, and he was saying that kind of a similar thought. We're moving into this new sense of retail where it's community based, and people are really interested in being able to, you know, work, eat, live, shop yeah. in the same five square miles, and be able to just walk. Oh, exactly. Places. They don't want to yeah. have a car. Millennials right. don't want to have a car, and I totally get that. Which is why the cities are booming right now, and for the foreseeable future. Exactly, and. I just wanted to ask one last question before we wrap up here. And that's recently you partnered with Oracle on a study 
for generational shoppers, and it said that Gen Z consumers value brick and mortar stores more than their parents or grandparents. And I kind of wanted to ask why that is. What's your take <laughs> on that? <laughs> All I do is we did the survey. I don't know that I have the answers for oh, it. But, okay. uh, no, I'm kidding. It was interesting that, you know, there's again this idea that maybe it's not nearly as fulfilling to go through and buy something online as it is to discover it in a store. And the distinction I always make is shoppers go online to buy. So I have a HP printer. I want the model 54 color printing cartridge. And I'm probably just going to go online and get that because I don't need to go out to a Staples or something and try to find that. I mean, that's easy. I go online to buy it. However, I go into a store because I want to get a new printer and I want to touch it and feel it. And as much as people say it doesn't matter and they're trying AI and all of this, at the end of the day, it seems to be a human need to be able to go out and actually meet human beings. And I know some of you who may not like to talk to people are like, well, I don't. I don't care what you like. <laughs> because that's what retail does is retail builds those little gossamer strands from one person to another that makes a community. And the less we have those, I think the more alone we feel. So when a millennial or a iGen can go out in the world and get that experience and it's like, wow, she was really great. And they love to tell those stories about meeting a business owner and the story behind the boutique. I think that's where we're hearing is, is about being authentic in this day and age. And I think that's what's actually resonating with these younger consumers. Yeah. Just the play on authenticity and connecting with others. That makes a lot of sense. The other thing was just a quick thing about that. I think it was a third or half of consumers would be willing to pay more for a more personalized experience in a store. Now, I know yeah. that data geeks are like, oh, that means we can combine your browser data from your phone and we can scrape it. And then when you walk in, it'll say, Julia, we've got these new hot pink sweats that we saw you. And no, that's not personalization. That is like the height of the opposite of that, which is we have an algorithm that is trying to sell you stuff. A personal experience is just being curious. When you walk in, I say, good morning. And you say, oh, good morning. I go, feel free to look around. I'll be right back. And I come back and I check on you. And I find we have something in common before we ever talk about the product. And then I might say, if we're at a window covering store, and I might say, what room gets the makeover today? And now you just start telling me. And suddenly, life gets easier. And mm-hmm. I've been doing this for a long time. So it's going to sound like you're like, oh, that's brilliant. It's like, well, wait till you experience it because it resonates, because that's how we like to talk. We're all just sitting around the campfire hoping somebody listens to our story, Julia. So when you can do that and you can make somebody feel they matter, they're going to buy more from you and it's going to resonate because you're authentic. It's not a cookie cutter. And so if your employees sound like cookie cutters, then you probably are making customers and shoppers feel less like they matter which is why they're holding on to their wallets. And that's a real problem. And if you've got a brick and mortar store, but I'm hopeful because you know what? I've seen the other side. If you're willing to make people feel they matter, they will go through and buy more. And more importantly, they'll rave about you. You don't have to buy influencers. Exactly. And that comes full circle to what we said at the beginning of the call, which is that you ran the huge cowboy store chain, right? <laughs> Way back when. So you, right. you know firsthand that it works. And my clients of 2019, the same thing. Is it easy? No, but it's a heck of a lot more fun to figure all of that out and get that hope back than to buying into the doom and gloom. It's a retail apocalypse. No one's buying brick and mortar. It'll never be the same again. The golden day of shopping is come and gone. <laughs> come on. 
who wants to go to work with that? Well, thank you, Bob, the retail doctor. I really enjoyed our conversation today and I look forward to maybe connecting at future retail shows or sometime in person if possible. Fabulous, Julia. I just encourage if you like what you hear, you can find me at retaildocdoc.com. You can find my podcast, Tell Me Something Good About Retail on most every platform. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, a trainer, or an online retail sales training program, I encourage you to check me out because unless you're willing to move the needle yourself and expect more from yourself, the shopper's not going to do it for you. Thanks so much for having me today. I appreciate it, Julia. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. You've been listening to Rethink Retail. For all the latest news on commerce and trends, join the discussion, rethink.industries.com. 